0: And folks, this segment of the show is sponsored by our good friends over at the PGA TOUR Superstore. This segment of the show is brought to you by the PGA TOUR Superstore. See why golfers everywhere are proud to call PGA TOUR Superstore their golf pro shop. Visit them online at PGATOURSUPERSTORE.COM. Now back to Chris and more of the show. And now joining me here on the French Lick Resort guest line is former PGA TOUR pro David Ogren. Let me give you a little bit of background on David He is from Waukegan, Illinois, which is about 35 miles north of Chicago. Played his college golf at Texas A&M, where he was a four-year letterman. He won the individual title at the 1976 All-American Juco Freshman Tournament and the 1979 Harvey Penick Intercollegiate Tournament. And he was named an All-American in 1978 and 79. Graduated with his degree in economics. David played on the PGA Tour from 1983 to 2000. Played on the Champions Tour as well for a couple of seasons in 2008 and 9. He won the 1996 Texas Open, uh, defeating Jay House by one stroke and a guy you might have heard of, Tiger Woods, by two. He also won a couple of times out on the South American Tour. Over the course of his PGA Tour career, he had 32 top 10 finishes and 86 top 25s. After playing on tour, he's been the director of instruction at some courses around the state of Texas and Wyoming. He was also the director of instruction at Top Golf over in San Antonio, and I am very thrilled he is with me tonight here on Next on the Tee. Hey, David, thanks for joining me tonight.
1: Chris, thank you. I'm glad to finally get on the show with you. I appreciate you.
0: So, David, I want to start by going back to your time in college and was sort of curious why Texas A&M?
1: It's a pretty good story. Uh, The coach at Texas A&M when I was um, getting out of high school was Bob Ellis. Bob is now in the College uh, Golf Coaches Hall of Fame. But Bob had a brother, Arthur Ellis, who uh, had won the 1963 uh, Illinois Amateur. And my dad and and, um, Arthur had played a lot of golf together. And so this was before the AJGA. This was before National Junior Rankings. This is when recruiting was all word of mouth, and um, Arthur kept uh, Bob um, informed of me, and finally, uh, my senior year, uh, Coach Ellis offered me a full scholarship to go to A&M, and I took it, and it uh, was one of the the great blessings in my life to um, go to A&M and uh, basically end up becoming a Texan.
0: And David, as I was kind of looking back over some stories that I read about you in the beginnings and all that sort of thing, I also found out your sister Alicia is a pretty darn good golfer in her own right. Played at Oklahoma State on a golf scholarship. Talk about your sister's game.
1: Well, I have two sisters. Alicia, um, Alicia is uh, currently a professor at Oklahoma State. Uh, her uh, pro career uh, kind of got cut a little bit short uh, by mononucleosis and some other stuff. But because of her golf, and this is, a, this is a, good, um, a a good thing for girl golfers, because of her golf, she kept up with her golf. She ended up going into the corporate world and ended up being the chief marketing officer for Snap-on Tools out of uh, Kenosha, Wisconsin. And wow. she credits her ability to play golf with the big boys, the corporate big boys, to a part of her rise through the corporate world. And now she's um, a professor at uh, Oklahoma State. I call her Doctor Sis. She just got her PhD. <laughs> My other sister, mother's sister Claudia. Didn't have the uh, uh, the notoriety that Alicia and I had um, in the golfing world, but she can still play a pretty good uh, game of golf. And um, uh, I kid her that um, we go out and play once here at Christmas, and uh, she'll shoot something like uh forty seven thirty nine And I keep kidding her that the second half of her season is always better than the first half of her season. <laughs> That's great.
0: And, David, looking back at your college career, you played against some pretty tough talent in the Southwestern Conference at that time. You look at the University of Houston, had Freddie Couples, Ed Fiore, Keith Fergus were there, Lance Tembrock was at uh, Texas, David Edwards at Oklahoma State. Talk about what it was like playing against those guys during your college days.
1: Well, uh, I had a great experience at A&M. Now, I, uh, the reason why I went to A&M is uh, I, I wanted to be a big fish in a big pond. And the Southwest Conference, uh, was one of the best golf conferences, um, in America with the University of Texas, University of Houston, and Southern Methodist University. And so I got to A&M and A&M wasn't what A&M is today. It was a little bit of a, a backwater golf school when Coach Ellis took over. And I was at the forefront of it becoming, you know, a, you know, a, a force, I guess, in, in uh, collegiate golf. But I played against um, Payne Stewart. I played against uh, Ed Fiore. I played against um, John Stark, uh, who won the Western uh, yeah, the Western Amateur. And over Texas, Phil Blackmar. And um, it was a great time to be in school and play golf.
0: David, one of the great Aggie alumni that's become very important to me here on this show is, is Bobby Nichols. I've had the privilege of talking to Mr. Nichols. A couple of times, he's a major champion, having won the 64 PGA. I was just curious. Did you ever have an opportunity? Did he ever, did he ever come back to A&M and then talk to the golf team when you were there?
1: No, my interaction with Bobby <clears throat> happened out on the road. In fact, the last time I can remember having a discussion uh, with Bobby, we were both at, <clears throat> excuse me, Dave Pelz's um, World Putting Championship down at Disney World, which uh, you know was a one or two short-lived years of existence. But I remember the, him distinctly telling me that if he had known then what he knew now, he would have had his hips replaced about four years earlier. Oh, that's a Bobby Nichols story that uh, you might not know about. Um, uh, yeah, you know A and M didn't have. Um, you know Bobby, uh, he he did talk about um, going there, and um, uh, you know I, I guess Bear Bryant gave him the golf, gave him the football scholarship to play golf. Before Bear moved on to um, Alabama, <clears throat> so um, yeah, I, I I I I don't know Bobby very well, but you know he's a featured alumni.
0: David, as I was looking over your uh, your PGA Tour career, um, you know the '83 Bing Crosby was I think maybe your second event when you uh, turned pro and uh, got onto the PGA Tour, and I was sort of looking at that final leaderboard. You finished I think tied for 44th. Your paycheck. Was nine hundred and fifty-eight dollars and fifty-seven cents. It's it's sort of it's amazing how how things have changed, right? You look back at the BMW Championship just a couple of weeks ago, and the guys that won that uh, ended up in forty-fourth place got thirty-two thousand three seventy-five. I think Tom Kite barely made more than that for winning the Crosby that year. And guys out, out you know on tour now are winning you know a million, a million five, a million six. Are you surprised? Does it really take you back looking over, you know, what the money that you played for versus the money the guys are out there playing for now?
1: You know, Chris, I just had this conversation not too long ago. When I won the Texas Open, it was like $218,000 or something, which seemed all the money in the world at the time. And uh, the discussion went something like, I know these guys are playing for $15 million right now, but to be honest with you, the amount of money that's at stake, doesn't really affect how you feel inside it's the thrill of the, the of winning the thrill of uh, having a high placement on a PGA tour event that um that gets your um you know gets your uh, adrenaline going so i actually haven't given a second thought about it um at all about the amount of money i'm just very um happy and pleased that um the tour uh, when i found it I, i'm i'm in the first graduating class of the All Exempt Tour and Dean Beeman back then was talking about the tour as it is today, and uh, I'm glad to see that it has um, achieved uh, the heights it has.
0: When I was looking over your career, David, and particularly out at Pebble Beach, talking about the the Crosby, boy, you had you had a fair amount of success playing out there at Pebble. You you finished tied for 17th and 84, tied for 25th and 85, tied for 12th and 89. You were right there in the mix a lot at that tournament. What was it about Pebble that seemed to really fit your eye and uh, help you have a great deal of success?
1: Interesting question, and um, I actually had a friend uh, answer that for me as we were kind of going over the places where I played fairly well. We discovered that the quality known as ambiance was important to me in performance, and it's just a lot of natural ambiance at Pebble Beach. Um, I I actually ended up being the kind of guy that stayed over in Pacific Grove more than Carmel, and I just there's something I just liked about being out there. And the golf courses themselves are difficult enough that it actually rewards somebody who who can play strategically and keep it in the fairway most of the time. And most of my good tournaments were in years where I drove it pretty straight and then the courses became playable for me and I've had some years where I hit it off the map and failed miserably making the cut but um um you know just the ambiance and the coolness of playing Pebble Beach and Spyglass Hill and in the early years Cypress Point and then later on uh Spanish Bay not Spanish Bay excuse me um not Spanish Bay what's the other one Poppy Hills um that that ma- that made all the difference in the world to me
0: and David, also looking at that 83 season, you had your best finish in the U.S. Open that year, tied for 13th at Oakmont. Larry Nelson would win that event by a stroke over Watson. But I was curious, what what do you remember about that 83 U.S. Open and what was it like for you being in the mix?
1: I shot 69 in one of those rounds in a era where Oakmont is impossible to play. Uh, and I remember the weather delays, the weather delays, the weather delays and then I got to finish on Sunday, and I, I don't remember what I shot, and then um, the weather delay hit, and then Larry Nelson came out the next morning, made his putt across the green on 16, and ended up winning the tournament.
0: And David, in in 85, you and Hal Sutton had a big battle at the St. Jude Memphis Classic. Uh, he would he would go on to hole a 30-footer to, to win in, in sudden death, but that was a heck of a tournament for you as well. Talk about what
1: you remember about that battle against Hal. Well, I, I played really good that week. Hal shot 65 in both the uh, first round and the last round. So he was 14 under on the Thursday-Sunday rounds, and uh, we, we tied at 9 under par for the tournament. And I just played a really good, steady uh, tournament the whole way. I, I got on a little bit of a roll and uh, just was playing really good golf. And I remember having a really good putting week, and the greens at uh, Colonial were a little bit grainy Bermuda, and sometimes they got difficult to putt, but I had a wonderful putting week, got in the playoff, and um, the, the playoff itself is actually on YouTube. It's one of the clips of me on tour on YouTube. And I, I, I drew the number one out of the hat, and I got up and I hit this drive, and I kind of I, I hit it right in the middle of the club face, but kind of hit it about eight yards to the right of where I was trying to hit it. And this thing rolls all the way down to the bottom of the hill and leaves me about 215 to the front edge. And then Hal gets up, and this drive takes off of his driver at about a 45 degrees angle up and to the right. I mean, it's like the worst worst shots you'll ever see Hal hit on film. And he's over in the woods, and they find his ball. Uh, I It could have been lost, but they found it. And he kind of plays out, probably leaving himself 140 yards or something, just barely nudges it out of the woods. And I'm sitting down there and I'm in, I'm in the flat, but the fairway's at, um, colonial or common Bermuda. And my ball was just in a depression. So Hal's in the fairway and I've got a forward shot to the green and I'm just the opposite of Larry Mowry. My strength is in my wedges. So I decide to play a nine iron over safe. And Hal kind of hits a flyer to the back edge of the green, and I hit a really good wedge shot in there 10 feet. And then Hal gets over his putt, and I turn to my kid, and, then, and his name was Jeff, and I said, Hal's over the putt, and he's lining it up, and I turn to him, and I go, uh-oh. And so I of a gun. He knocks it in, and then I have this 10 foot. I hit a really good putt. It didn't go in, and I end up not winning the tournament. And that's what I remember about that.
0: Let's skip forward to uh, 96, and that was another great season for you. You had five top ten finishes that year. You get your win at the Texas Open. What was it like, not only the fact that you beat Jay Haas and Tiger Woods, oh, by the way, but getting your first win in Texas as a Texas A&M alumni?
1: Yeah, so, I mean, I'm a, not only am I an A&M alumni, but I'm a, I'm actually a, a resident of the San Antonio area, so I'm commuting to the tournament from home, <clears throat> Um uh, the uh, the day I had the afternoon tea time, I actually had to take my uh, car to Goodyear to get a tire replaced. You know, this kind of stuff. The the, the at home stuff is happening while I'm playing the tournament. And um, again, I I got off to a good start. I made I made a really weak bogey uh, to finish the first round, and then the second round I played a really nice round of golf. I shot 67, and then on Saturday I shot 65. Ended up with a lead. Um, and I get up on the first hole on Sunday, and I hit a pretty good drive that just kind of gets in the left rough. Now, what had happened was we had a hurricane come through Texas about two weeks before the tournament, and the rough was, like, super deep. It was, like, more than U.S. Open rough. And they just couldn't get the mowers to it, so I chopped this thing down the fairway, and it had, like, 250 to the hole on the par five hole, and I hit the three-wood over the green, and uh got a squirrely lie and pitched up about 12 feet, and I made that right in the middle of the hole. And after that, um, you know, I, I make a couple birdies, and I come to the sixth hole with a four-shot lead. And then I had this liminy snicket series of unfortunate events. I make a triple bogey on the sixth hole. Ooh. Yeah, I know. So walking up to the seventh tee uh, at La Quintero, this really strange kind of... Peace came over to me and I turned to my caddy, Brad, and I said, Brad, I just made a triple bogey and did not lose the lead. And I promptly made four birdies in a row. So, um, wow. and then from there, I was just, I kind of seesawed my way into a one shot victory. Uh, the final touch on this this is the year that Jesper Parnovic kind of messed up the scoreboard at the British Open. And I, uh, did I had his 10 footer for par in 18. And I went over to the rules official, Vaughn Moise, and I said, Vaughn, are all the scoreboards correct? And he goes, yes. And I lagged it down there for a six-inch or tapped it in and won my tournament. Wow. That's an awesome story.
0: <laughs>
1: David, um,
0: want to get your thoughts? You have a wonderful website, DavidOgren.com, where you've got playing lesson videos on there. And let our listeners know about the, the great stuff that they're going to find when they go on your website.
1: Well, I, I'm a member of the Golf Channel Academy system. So the Golf Channel Academy people help me, um, out with my website and I get to produce some videos in the studio, which are a lot of fun to do. Um, you know, they, they got, I got nine or ten videos on there and, uh, I'm actually going in studio in a couple weeks to shoot nine or ten more. So I got these content of all the stuff that I've learned along the way. Um, and, uh, uh, on my website, you can also make a make a reservation for a, a lesson, which I very much would uh, like to help people out. And uh, yeah, it's just uh, it's a fun website. I, I do a lot of stuff. Um, I got my own place now at the David Ogan Golf Academy, so it's kind of fun being an entrepreneur and a director of everything and a and a coach and a teacher and all that. One of the videos
0: on there caught my attention. It's, it talks about how to have better balance. Through our swings, and I think that's an area that uh, it it seems pretty basic, but I think a lot of us struggle with. Tell our listeners how do we go about making sure we have better balance during the course of our swing.
1: Well, balance is one of the lessons that I give give people, and um, the the technique I show in this video, I actually learned from a guy named Chuck Hogan, and he has it in his book, Learning Golf, which is a old fabulous old book that it's it's worth having on your shelf. But anyway, um, when, when uh, I test people for their balance, it's really easy a lot of times to push people onto their heels. And when you're on your heels, your body is sensing that you're too close to something. If somebody invades your space at a party, you kind of get back on your heels and go, hey, you know, give me some space here. Uh, the opposite, which I see a lot less often, is people standing too far away from it, they'll be over on your toes and are reaching out and you can push them forward. So I see a lot of people on their heels standing too close to the ball. And so I get them to either redistribute their weight so that their uh, their body knows that it's not too close to the ball or I get them further away from the ball. Quite often, it's as much as two or three inches to, uh, to get away from the ball. And inevitably, people um, make better athletic motion in balance. And so balance becomes very fundamental to what I, uh, what I teach and what I do.
0: David, before I let you go, let our listeners know, how can they stay up to date with all the things that you're doing and follow you on social media as well?
1: Well, excellent. So um, they can obviously go to davidogren.com, take a look at that. On Twitter, I'm um, at D. Ogrin, uh, I do some Twitter stuff on Instagram I'm Ogrin Golf on Facebook I have my, of course my profile page which is David Ogrin I guess I guess I guess actually it's uh, #OgrinGolf and then I have the David Ogren Golf page which also um Golf Channel Academy helps me manage that one and get out some really good content uh those are the ways that uh those are the ways that you can see what I do
0: well, David, I can't thank you enough for taking time out of your night to, to join me and be a part of the show. I've I really enjoyed the time. I'm sure I've only scratched the surface of all the great things that you've done over the course of your playing career. I hope you come back and join me again sometime.
1: Well, I I will look forward to it. And now with eight minutes to spare, I get to go out and do my 8 o'clock lesson. <laughs>
0: Good
1: for you. Good for your student. I thank
0: you, and yes, I look indeed. forward to catching up soon. All the best to you and your family, David. All righty. That's David Ogren, O-G-R-I-N. And uh, David Ogren, is, uh, he's got his own website, right? like I mentioned, davidogren.com, and uh, all the different ways you can follow him on social media. Had a great playing career, you know, and uh, looking back over all the things that he did in the 80s and the 90s. Certainly look forward to talking more about that,
1: getting more stories and more playing lessons the next time he joins me. So hopefully that's, uh, like I say, real soon.